so thank you for downloading this very special episode with me, Kieran Paul, Sean Murphy and Alex Erzenbacher in front of a live audience at the German Masters. I have to tell you, the Berlin Temper Drum is a truly a wonderful arena for snooker and we got to record this in its delightful amphitheatre. But really, I should leave it to Mr. Ralph Karb, otherwise known as Mr. Snooker in Germany, to introduce it. Das sind als Gastgeber der Kieren und als Gäste Alexander Rosenbacher und Sean Murphy. Now, Alex, I was worried about the pronunciation of your name, right, um, Erzenbacher, but I, I found a tweet from some bloke called Sean Murphy, and he tweeted on the 19th of October 2017, after Alex beat him, he said, remember the name... 4-1. One. 4-1. One. Remember the name Alexander Erzenbacher. Well played. Class tonight. Good luck tomorrow. It's funny the rubbish you say in tweets, isn't it? Well, no. I, I remember that match vividly because I spent most of it sat down watching this wonderful player uh, pot all the balls that really I wanted to pot. I was playing well that week and got absolutely peppered by you. Thanks. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> now, Alex, can you tell us about the chalk smashing incident, please? Uh, yeah, I was about 14 years old, I think, or 15, I can't remember. And I was just practicing like every other 14-year-old, eight hours a day, you know. And I was just not getting any better at one point. Um, so I just took my chalk and just smashed it into the wall and it just, it was like a dust explosion, you know. And there is still the mark on the wall, you know, but it was just, it was just funny. Um, but Sean, you've seen anger on a train. Can you tell us about the man... In Germany, you saw kick a train. Well, I have to be careful with this story because the man who this story is about is in this building some distance away, but I'm sure he will get to hear about this. Of course, he was there, so he knows the story. But we were doing one of those tours that I've mentioned around Germany, and it's, you know, it's Dusseldorf one night, then it's Munich, and then it was somewhere at Berlin, and then it, you know, and it's train to train, got to make that train, and we did one big night, and... We had to uh, get to the train station to make this connecting, otherwise we were in serious trouble. We couldn't get to the next next thing. So we've, we've got to we've rush through with all our luggage. Our queues aren't easy to you know carry. We've got awkward things to carry. We're rushing through the station. No one knows where we're going. We don't know what to do. We've got to get the tickets. Then we're running down the platform. We're trying to read in a bit of broken German and English, trying to read the signs. We get the wrong platform. Now we're running against it because the clock's telling us we've only got a few minutes to go. We climb up, all of us, on this platform, sweating, swearing, like it was horrendous. And this train on our platform slowly pulls away. We were like, no... And we might have used some stronger words than no. <laughs> anyway, my, my mate, who shall rename nameless, but his name sounds a lot like Brandon Parker, kicked the absolute bejesus out of this train as it's left the station. <laughs> Turn in the air blue. That's our train. You've gone too early. Where are you? Come back. Come back. Like no train in Germany has ever been late ever in the history of man. And then a couple of us turned around to the thing, to the board. Of course, our train was due in three minutes. It was somebody else's train. <laughs> <laughs> Several hundred people on this train had seen this mad Mancunian kicking the crap out of this train. It was hilarious. Did they allow him on the train, though? Oh, we still got on the next train, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you wouldn't keep Brandon off a train. And what, what fans might not know as well is that there's a missed flight world rankings as well among snooker players. So snooker players who miss flights they toddle them up. So can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we have this, this, this own like personal ranking list amongst the players on tour. It's not on any website. 
Uh, you won't find it on the one-year list or anything like that. It doesn't count for any tournaments. But it's safe to say that last week's champion in the European Masters, Neil Robertson, is by far and away the world number one of missed planes. It, he is... He is he could not compete in any tournaments for the next 10 years and he would still retain his number one ranking on that list. He's, in fact, there was a time a few seasons ago where we were doing lots of events in China and Hong Kong and we were doing a bit of a tour for a promoter out there. And it was more of a surprise if Neil was where he said he would be when he said he would be there. And we were like, wow, Neil, you've actually made the flight. We, we had a spare flight booked for you and everything. Like, well, this is, this is strange. He is world number one by a mile on the missed flight stats. Uh, now, talking of anger, um, Sean, you've got a little bit, little bit of anger with me, haven't you? You've got a bit of beef to settle with me. So I'd, I thought we'd do this in a public area. So if you, you can just have the stage for the next two minutes, get nice and angry, and tell everyone what, what, what's been bothering you. Well... When we started this podcast, I was lucky enough to be asked to take part in the very first episode, which was great. And you asked me a very innocent question: Had I ever done a, you know, a job in the past? Did I have a, you know, have a do some employment or, you know, worst jobs you'd ever had? That was it. And you know, I picked up a snooker cue as an eight-year-old child. I left school at thirteen to pursue my dream of being a snooker player, and turned professional at fifteen years of age. And that's been my life. And you have absolutely slagged me for it ever since, that I never had a day's work in my... Never did a day's work in my life. And I feel, as you can see, I feel very upset about it. Get a job. You sound a lot like my wife. Well, she's the one that's nagging me to tell you. Um, <laughs> um, now, Alex, were you naughty at school? We want to know this. Were you naughty? Sometimes, yeah. I mean... All, all the kids at some point are naughty in school, I think, and there is no perfect student, in my opinion. Um, but never, I've never been the worst. What were you like at school, Sean? I was the perfect student. I mean, what, what a ridiculous question. No, I had my favourite subjects like everyone, but I'd, you know, I, I literally had my dreams cast to be a snooker professional and um, really wasn't interested in... Um, being at school at all. I remember the, the, the conversation you have with your careers advisor uh, who comes into school when you're sort of 12 or 13, sits you down in a private room. Now, what do you want to be when you grow up? Have you thought about what exams you might take and how you might? I said, well, I'm going to be a snooker player. And I never forget the lady. She went, yeah, no, I, that's fine. But what do you really want to do? I said, no, no, I, I am going to be a snooker player. No, I, I understand that. Uh, but what, what about if it doesn't work? No, it is going to work. I'm going to be... A, right. Uh, she called the PE teacher in, who was a guy called Mr Perkins, and she said, got a bit of a problem with this one. <laughs> um, and he said, yeah, no, I've been trying to tell him as well for the last three years. Anyway, when I won the World Championship and went back to the area, I went to this pub with some friends, and my old PE teacher was sat in the bar having a drink. And we had a good drink together and had a good laugh about old times. It was great. Did you have a careers advisor at school, Alex? Uh, not really, because I had many national success, uh, a lot of national success. Oh, national success. Oh, look at me. I have to say it. I have to say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I was always uh, coming back to school from a weekend of winning a tournament, you know, and my teacher was seeing my potential, so he never really... He was never really worried about my future because I had, uh, you know, s Swiss title of the juniors, uh, men's title, you know, two years in a row by the age of 15, you know. So um, they were never really concerned about my future. And when you reached the semis of the, of the English Open, it, uh, you got more attention back home in Switzerland than one Roger Federer. 
no, he, I don't think he was doing anything at the time. So uh, yeah, I was in the I was in the news and I couldn't really see anything of him. Yeah. Uh, but no, I don't think I was bigger than him. Maybe but what, but what was that like? What was that like? Like a whole nation behind you? Oh yeah, no, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it was it was fun. It was fun beating Sean. Yeah, it was fun. Sorry, um, Sean. <laughs> Now, I've recently got a dog, and we were, we were talking uh, backstage about dogs, and Sean was saying that he's got, he's, he used to have two Labradors. Can you just tell us specifically about their names? I mean, when you get a dog right, you know, a dog's a big part of a lot of people's face. You know, the name is the most important part of a dog. So I had to pick two solid, really strong names. So I went with Dave and Frank. And when he was really naughty, it was Francis. And unfortunately, Francis was naughty a lot. So, were you ever in a park shouting Dave and a man called Dave came over? Uh, I was walking the dogs one day. We lived on this, like, farm and uh, went for a walk down the country lane. And the dogs, you know, let them off the lead and off they went around the thing and out of sight. And I just called them. I was, Dave! Frank! Dave! So I walk around the corner and there's this old couple around the corner and her, his name was Dave. <laughs> and he's gone, yeah, what, what is it? I went, no, not you, Dave, Frank. And they'd run off and got into some trouble or whatever. But yeah, I, I suppose that's the risk with having human names for dogs, isn't it? Was there more argument about naming those than children? Uh, but I don't remember there being much of an argument, no. Of course, as a, you know, as a, a, a good, dutiful husband, I just, whatever the wife says, the wife gets. Right, look who's all the ladies. Who's applauding that? <laughs> all the ladies were clapping. I got there was a few head shakes from the guys there. What's this guy talking about? Um, but do they do they ever destroy anything in your house? Are they are they well behaved? Well, I had a, a Labrador uh, as a child, and um, my mother and I went out to the shops. We came back and she'd chewed her way through the wall between the kitchen and the hallway. Um, and we came back and her head was just popped out of this little hole like that. Oh yeah. And then Dave and Frank, fast forward a few years, just to set the scene, Dave was a chocolate brown Labrador, beautiful dog, show standard, he was stunningly beautiful. Frank, not so much, but Frank was like an evil genius. He was the mastermind, he, he, he could have taken over the world. And you would all, whenever there was any trouble, you would come in and Dave would have caused the trouble, but Frank was the real voice behind it. So there was one particular day I came home, I'd been away at a tournament or something, and I came back and, um, you know, my, uh, my partner was out at the time. I'd gone in the office and sat there with the two dogs, like butter wouldn't melt in their mouth. And Frank the dog may as well have been pointing a finger at Dave saying, he did it. He did it. Cables everywhere. The TV screen was smashed. Letters everywhere. Invoices ripped up. Oh, it was an absolute nightmare. But Frank was the, he was the, he was the evil genius. Now, Alex, um, we were talking about, uh, like, travel earlier. How early do you get to the airport when you, because obviously you guys have to travel all over the world. You are a stickler for getting Why are you mentioning that? Very early. Why are you mentioning that? Is this a late entry for the new missed, missed flight timetable? Is this, is this? That one is a, a different level. I had to go back from uh, England to Basel, where I live, and uh, I was stopping in Paris. I had to wait four hours for my connecting flight, yeah? So I was there at the gate four hours before my flight. Not at the airport, I was at the gate four hours before my flight. Four hours? Yeah. And um, (laughs) That's Swiss efficiency, isn't it? (laughs) That is, yeah. Ironically, he would have looked at his Swiss watch. (laughs) 
And I mean, I was there, you know, it's not like I wasn't there, I was there and I didn't fall asleep or anything. So I was going downstairs to check where the gate is and I went back upstairs because there was no food and drinks uh, downstairs. So I was just going upstairs right in front of the stairs, you know. So I sat down for a few hours, watched a few videos, listened to music. So w when the time was ready, I, was go I, I went downstairs and uh, I realized there was no one there. And it was still the right gate. There was no one there, yeah? Um, so I realized that's actually the bus station where you get picked up to go to the gate. The shuttle bus? Yes. <laughs> so uh, I took the last available bus and uh, the driver was going, is that not your plane? <laughs> and I'm, I'm like sweating, you know? I'm like, yeah. You know, she, you know drive, you know, drive. <laughs> And uh, so I was arriving there, you know, another pass control, you know, I mean, I was, I was nearly collapsing, I was, I was nearly passing out. So I went there and, I, you know, the guy said, you're too late. You know, I couldn't believe it, you know, I was sitting at the airport the whole night. I was that mad, I was sitting in a chair for five hours just not doing anything. So I had to take a train uh, from Paris um, to get to Basel at 6 a.m. Um, but I was, I was furious, you know, so I think I'm the leader now of that list. No chance. No chance. No chance. You're a blow-in. As they say in Ireland where I live, you're a blow-in. Um, I had a funny story with, uh, I use the term funny very loosely. It was actually for this tournament a few years ago. I was flying from Manchester, Lufthansa, and we'd had terrible snow in Manchester. I fought my way through snowstorm, blizzard, when I say me, it was the taxi driver. We got to Manchester Terminal 1, I think, or Terminal 2, raced into the check-in very late, got to the check-in desk, gave the woman my boarding pass. She said, oh, you're not on this flight. I said, what? I said, I am on the flight. She said, you're not on the flight. I said, I've checked in. She said, you're not on this flight. I said, but I've got all my luggage. It's snowing outside. I've got to get to Berlin for the German Masters. She said, you're not on this flight, sir. I said, I am on this flight. There's my receipt. Snooker cue case booked on. 20 kgs of extra luggage. Seat 1A, what are you talking about? She said, you're not on this flight. You're on the flight tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so you were 24 hours early. <laughs> you're five hours early. It's nothing now. <laughs> nothing. So there I was, back in the taxi, back home. Uh, Put the tea on, will you? I'm on my way home. I like the fact as well that your, t your seat number was 1A. 1Alpha. So you were the first... Were you, were you flying the plane? <laughs> Isn't 1A technically where the pilot is? I wish it was. I wish it was. Do you, do you tend to fly together when you're going around the country as players? Or do you... I don't know, is anyone superstitious? Do they choose to fly on their own? Or do some not like flying? Oh, there's, there's, there's a couple of players. I mean, Tony Drago springs to mind. Um, absolutely terrified of flying. Um, I think Tom Ford is not a great flyer. I've flown with Tom before. Um, I think there's a few lads on the tour. I think with some of our flights to the Far East for China, you know, there would be a big contingent of players on a lot of those flights. You know, if, the, if that plane goes down, the, uh, the rankings are changing significantly. Um, we should perhaps look at something like the royal family in the UK. You know, we don't fly together. Now, Alex, uh, Sean was saying about his dogs. Tell, you, you've got a cat. Tell us about the cat. Uh, well, basically, he's turning 17 in April. Uh, very healthy cat. Uh, his name is Star. 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 Yeah, I was only six years old. Right, it's better than Frank so, or Dave. <laughs> it's what? Definitely better than Frank and Dave. Are you serious? If you shout Dave, 
in a crowded area, five days will come to you. <laughs> and if you, you shout star in where you get beaten up in Manchester. He, does, he doesn't go out. He doesn't go out. star, only the cat will come towards you. Cats don't come when they're called. Everyone knows. Oh, no, he never comes. Never comes. No, no, Is he's he very naughty? He, yeah, he does some silly stuff. I mean, he, he likes to run from one side of the room to the other side of the room. And sometimes he, he forgets to stop and just runs straight into the wall. My son does that. <laughs> is, your na is his name Star? <laughs> Galaxy <laughs> Mars? It won't be if he keeps running into walls. <laughs> um, and do, you, do either of you like, have any superstitions when you play as well? Like when you, when you, when you pack, does certain things go in first in certain orders when you travel? No, I've actually really tried my hardest through my career to stay away from all of that. I think if you get something like that in your head... Um, you know, it can actually play serious problems with you. Um, I think Steve Davis had one at the World Championships in Sheffield. His first two or three visits to the Crucible Theatre from his hotel, he had to walk down the street to stage door, and there was this massive big cover in the street that the, the, the brewery used to use to deliver the beer to this particular pub. And for the first couple of years, he would always walk around it. Um, and then in the year he won the championship, he actually said in his book that uh, he decided to walk on that, on that plaque, on the, on the thing there. And, um, you know, he didn't say he won the world championship because of it, but he did walk on it for the next 10 years. But, but when, you won, when you won the world, like, was, there some, was there anything that you did the next tournament because you'd done it there? Not really. No, not, not, not really. As I say, I've always really done, uh, tried to steer away from it. My nephew, uh, Joshua when I won the World Championship in 05. Of course, he was only a very young boy back then. He'd have been maybe eight or nine. When I won my first match at the World Championships that year against Chris Small, that was the first match I'd ever won at the World Championships in three attempts. So Joshua decided that the underpants he had on, they were lucky underpants. Fair enough. Yeah. Next match, pants are on, I win again. And it just kept rolling. And he had those pants on for 17 days. I kid you not. How many different pairs of pants did you have for those 17 days? Two. <laughs> no. Three. Three. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, do you know that referee Jan Verhas has two cats as well? I do. Do you know what their names are? I do. Do you? I do. I don't. Right. We're gonna, right. You say one of their names. Jimmy. And the other's Ronnie. Named after Ronnie Wood and Jimi Hendrix. He loves music. <laughs> no. Yeah. Jimmy and Ronnie. Jimmy White, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Very good. But surely, like, if he should never be able to ref Ronnie O'Sullivan versus Jimmy White now. We've actually had that debate on the tour on a more serious level uh, about nationalities, about referees from a particular country refereeing players from that particular country. And does that, you know, invoke any problems, any concerns? You don't see it in a lot of other sports. Um, but I think, you know, we wouldn't have the depth of nationalities to spread across the tour to, to be able to do it. And how many cues do you own, Alex? Four, maybe? Yeah, no, I wouldn't have that many. I have the cues that I started playing the game with. Um, cue I first picked up when I was eight. I had the first cue that I was made for me uh, by a cue maker in the Northamptonshire area called a guy called Mac Chambers, and um, it was a lovely cue. And uh, the cue I won the World Championship with, um, which I gave to a good friend of mine who helped me out a lot through my sort of early career. And I have the cue that I use now. Is that four, the same as you? I didn't count, I don't know. No, I didn't count either, to okay. be honest. Oh. Because, like, Ken Doherty was on a podcast last week, and he was saying he's only ever had one. And I think, isn't it Stephen Hendry that only ever had one? Well, it was Stephen won all his titles with just one, and then, the, then it got smashed up. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he won very often after that. 
uh, with his new queue. It's amazing because they, people talk about queues. How much is your queue? Is it made of the best wood, the best material? You know, who made it? I mean, it's kind of widely accepted that, you know, John Paris would be one of, if not the best queue makers in the world. You know, Stephen Hendry's queue that he won seven world titles with was £30 out of a rack in a club in Scotland. It was as bent as a banana. Uh, it was a terrible queue, but he was the most successful snooker player of all time with it. So it's a bit like Harry Potter, you know, the... Uh, Wand chooses the wizard. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> I don't believe it. Let's move on. No, because a cue's never chosen you me. Don't right. believe it. No, I don't, no. Right. Well, I wouldn't know, though, would I? I'm, I'm not I would, X World Channel I wouldn't know. So. Fair enough. Um, right, we're going to do a quick fire round now. Sean, whose safety game would you take? John Higgins. Selby. Whose potting game would you take, Sean? Mark Williams. Alex. John Trump. If you could play another sport professionally, what would it be, Sean? Golf. Alex? Tennis. Did you pass your driving test first time? No. I haven't had a chance yet. And that's even worse. How many times did you take pass your driving test, Sean? Uh, three times. Three? Three? Three times. Anyone beat three? It's like a higher number. What it's happened on the first and second Yeah, the first time? one, the first driving test I took, I drove like I invented driving. I was a machine. And just as I was near the test centre going back, the examiner, very pleased, no minor marks, no misdemeanours, you know, very, very good. This absolute maniac came around this roundabout and, and, and had to brake not to crash into the... He was like pulling a massive skid around the roundabout and I was in his way, like I was just driving the car. And uh, because the guy had to brake to avoid hitting us at pace... I was deemed to be in the wrong, so I failed the test. The second test, I was told I had no chance of passing because the woman who was examining the thing just didn't pass people. She was an absolute weapon. Um, there was no chance I was going to get passed at all, and I was right. I may as well have just gone for a McDonald's. Like, it was a complete waste of time. And then on the third but last one, um, I was lucky because on the warm-up lesson I had with my driving instructor, the very corner we went to do the reverse round the corner practice on was the same Don't corner. Don't do that anymore. That's gone. What? They don't reverse round corners anymore. I mean, no wonder, is it? No wonder any no people can't drive anymore. Oh, there we are. You sound like an old man. I mean, I am an old man. Okay. I'm getting old, aren't I? You know, speaking about driving, I actually had driving lessons, but I just didn't get to the point where I can make a test because I ran out of money at the time. Um, so I had about, I don't know, 100 lessons with my dad in private. 100 lessons? Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm bad. 100 lessons. Lewis yeah. Hamilton hasn't had 100 yeah. lessons. You have 100 lessons at one skill and you cannot do it. No, I wasn't. Something's wrong. I was, I was <laughs> taught you, the cat. Did Star teach you how to drive? My dad has an automatic car, yeah? Right. And obviously you have, you, I wanted to do a, a manual test. So, um, you know, in my first lesson with my dad... So are we blaming I, your dad? No, 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 I would never do that. Um, I'll do it. I just didn't play good enough uh, snooker to, to win more money, and so I just couldn't right. pay the lessons. Um, serious on us there, Alex. You've gone serious. <laughs> um, so in my first driving lesson with my dad, that was actually my first ever lesson, yeah? And he, and he went, Alex, can you, can, you make it, uh, can you make it through the roundabout before the truck? So he went, can you make it before him? I, I said, I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, I nearly made an accident. He, Alex, you nearly killed us! You know, he was blaming me, so he's blaming me. I'm not blaming him. But, um, that right, so that was lesson one. What happened on lesson 35? No, because I, I was not doing any manual. 77. What happened on lesson 77? No, it got better from that point. 88. <laughs> what happened on 99 to think, you know what, we're going to have one more. <laughs> we're going to have one more lesson because you might do it. No, so it was... What happened on lesson 100 so he has not been back? Oh, yeah. 
wrote the car off. Well, basically, he said, well, that's enough. You, you can you can make your own way from Did it. your dad charge you? Mm, sure. No, he just gave me loads of stick, you know. He just gave me loads of stick. Of course, they don't drive fast in Switzerland, do they? We, we've all watched enough Top Gear. I was going, I was going like 50. Speaking about the uh, speed limit, I was like, it's it's like 50 in Switzerland. It depends where you are. It's 120 at the motorway. I was going 50 on a normal street. No, actually, 52. And my dad went, what are you doing, you know? Right. Poor Alex. Alex, can you ride a bike? I definitely can ride a bike. Hesitated yeah. a bit there, to be fair. Can you ride a bike? Of course I can ride I a bike. I can't ride a bike. What? I've never been able to ride a bike. It's starting to make sense, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, our Clues are coming together. I cannot ride a bike. I can't ride a bike. Do you wear a helmet, Alex, when you ride a bike? No. Why? Because I never ride a bike. I can ride a bike, but I'll never do it. Okay. So, Sean, if you were to ride in the countryside with a family, would you wear a helmet? Absolutely not. For the same reason I don't wear a cap when I play golf. Do you wear a glove? Because it, d of course, <laughs> like all normal golfers. But um, you can't wear a cap in golf and be taken seriously unless you're being paid millions of dollars to endorse a brand because it messes your hair up. And that's, as we know, that's the important thing. All right, next question. Alex, when you tie your laces, do you single knot or double knot? Double. Double. Uh, when you cross a road, do you wait for the green man to appear? Sometimes. Always. Well done. Thank you. Favourite album? None. None? No. I, I love music. I listen to everything, but I don't have a favourite album. Fair enough. Okay. Joel, favourite album? Anything by the Beatles. Right, final question. You are hosting a dinner party. You can invite one snooker player, someone from another sport, a musician, and an animal. Who? Joe Davis, the creator of snooker. Yep. Rory McIlroy, golfer. Jules Holland, the pianist, because he's an absolute genius, and his New Year's Eve show is possibly the best thing on TV. And an animal. Yeah. Well, it would be Dave or Frank. No, you've got to pick one. Uh, and I'll pick Dave. Okay. Because <laughs> looks, as we know, are more important than brains. Uh, Alex, go on then. Invite a snooker player. Some of, and don't just say Sean. <sighs> Why not? I've done this question with so many people, like so many snooker players, and there's two of them, and they just say each other, and it's really boring. So, name a snooker player that you'd invite. Uh, Steve Davis. Someone from another sport. Roger Federer. Um, a musician. Uh, Eminem. Eminem. What? So Steve Davis in a room with Eminem. Have you ever imagined that before? One chance, one yeah. shot, one opportunity. <laughs> Can you imagine that rap? <laughs> no. Can you imagine? Of course, of course, Davis is now a DJ, isn't he? He is. But what would Steve Davis talk to Eminem about? Not sure. <laughs> or what would Eminem talk to Steve Davis? Oh, Steve. <laughs> and then the animal. Tiger. Poor star. Your own cat doesn't That's get to come. Yeah, he's home anyway, isn't he? Oh, yeah, no, he's... Oh, okay. So the tiger gets dinner. <laughs> right, okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been uh, Table Talk. This will be released in a couple of weeks. Um, if you haven't uh, listened to the podcast before, please do. It's called Table Talk. Search it on iTunes or Spotify or any of the podcast apps. And if you want to tweet about it, it's hashtag snooker table talk. So please join me in thanking Sean Murphy and Alex Erzenbacher. Thank you very much. Thank you. Danke.